Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 440 of Linux in the Hamshack. This is The Weekender, and it's the 82nd edition of The Weekender. This is where we talk about open source events, amateur radio events, uh, contests, all kinds of things that you can do over the next 14-day period that might keep you entertained in the worlds of amateur radio and open source. And then we move into hedonism down towards the bottom of the show where we talk about food and music and wine and liquor and all the good things that make life worth living. So, you know, if you want to skip about two-thirds of the way through, you can get to the good stuff early. But if you want to find out what you might be able to participate in coming up in the next couple of weeks, we'll get to that first. But before we do that, we introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. And as we normally do, we start the weekender with this weekend in amateur radio. And this weekend really refers to the next two weeks, but Bill is going to do what he does and he's going to tell you about upcoming special events and QSO parties that you can participate in for the next 14 days if you feel inclined well i won't talk about special events but i will talk about contests did i not say did i say special events i'm sorry yeah you said special events. i'm, I'm sorry i meant contests <laughs> and QSO parties not special events special events is my thing and I, that comes up that's next, right so CQ contest, CQ contest. So yeah, these all of course come from contestcalendar.com the most wonderful contestcalendar.com on the interwebs and uh, this weekend, yeah, we got a got a got a big one here. This is a uh, well, if you like warble warble, you know, uh, this is the Worked All Europe DX contest. This is the Riddy edition, and this runs from uh, zero Zulu November thirteenth to twenty three fifty nine Zulu November fourteenth. Bands there are eighty through ten, no work or sixty meters. Um, and of course, their blurb is that many leading contesters claim that the. Uh, uh, WAE DC is the most challenging contest of the year, being a true blue DX contest. Only intercontinental QSOs between DX and Europe are counted. Uh, the exception is the Riddy part. Oh, so we can't even say that. So uh, they'll take anything, I guess, for Riddy. You're supposed to, to read to out with the. It. You're supposed to read out the stuff, and I can't believe you didn't try and pronounce WAE DC because oh, it sounds like Wade. No, like Wade Dick. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Dick. <laughs> sure. How much have you had a drink? No, just kidding. Not nearly enough, but I'm working on it. Uh, apparently. Yeah, therefore, the number of DX QSOs here may be similar to the amount of uh, DX usually worked in the CQ worldwide. Uh, moreover, the unique feature of the QTC traffic adds much fun and uh, another operating challenge to the contest. Uh, here, the DX stations transfer real telegrams to the European stations. Uh, these telegrams contain data of previously logged QSOs. Each of these records counts as one additional point for the sender and the receiver, given that the complete record was log- logged correctly. 
Thus, a DX station can actually double its score by sending QTCs. Some European stations, and not only the leading ranks, gain more than 70% of their score from QTC traffic. Uh, the other contest I have here for the weekend is the JIDX phone contest. I wonder what mode this one is. Uh, this one runs from 0700 Zulu to on November 13th to 1300 Zulu, November 14th. Fans there are 140, oh, sorry, 140. <laughs> 160. And how much 10. have you had to drink? apparently enough (laughs) no work or 60 meters mode of course is single sideband and this is for amateurs around the world to contact ja stations and that's japan of course in as many ja prefectures and jd1 islands as possible for amateurs in japan to contact dx stations in as many dxcc entities and cq zones as possible so check the uh rule book for uh your exchange if it's applicable to you and there, there are no state QSO party challenges that I could find for this weekend. So you have a weekend off on that uh, effort. Next weekend, we have the continuation of the ARRL sweepstakes contest. This time around, it's the single sideband edition. Uh, there was a lot of traffic on uh, on the CW one. <laughs> I was just listening around the band. I didn't really participate, but I, I was spinning the dial and listening and seeing how well uh, how well I could copy off off the top of my head, which was pretty bad. Uh, but uh, <laughs> this weekend or next weekend is the uh, single sideband version, and it runs from 2100 Zulu November 20th to uh, 0300 Zulu November 22nd. It's uh, 160 through 10, no work or 60 meters. And of course, uh, the sweepstakes is to support amateur radio self training and radio communications, including improving amateur operating skills, conducting technical investigations, and oh, screw that. It's just really to have fun because it's a fun contest. Again, it has the, uh, the longer exchange, the serial, the precedence, the call, and the check number, which, of course, is your licensing year. Um, again, you cannot operate more than 24 of the 30 hours of the contest, but that'd be silly anyway. But have fun. Uh, it's, it's always a good time running the sweepstakes contest. And, uh, and of course, you can guess, I don't have to mention it, that there aren't any uh, QSO parties that weekend. <laughs> so you get a weekend off from that. As well as the sweepstakes contest next weekend, we have the ARRL Earth Moon Earth Contest, or Emmy, the Emmy Contest, the Arl Emmy Contest, and it runs from zero Zulu November 20th to 2359 Zulu November 21st. Uh, bands there are six meters through uh, 1.2 gigahertz. Uh, all modes are possible, CW, single sideband, and digital. And of course, the goal is to work as many amateur stations as possible via the Earth Moon Earth path on any authorized amateur frequency above 50 megahertz and below, well, and up to 1.2 gigahertz. I believe there's another addition for the higher frequency. But uh, but yeah, for now, that's what you get for that contest. And again, it is possible with a single Yagi, your digital software, and uh, some some patience. You can you can do it on six for sure. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least you could try. <laughs> Throw some power behind it though. Don't be afraid to kick that dial all the way up to 100. percent <laughs> uh, But that's all we got for contests. What do you got for uh, special events? All right, for special events, we have a few here that we can mention. the The list was actually kind of short this time around, so there's not apparently a lot going on in special events. And a couple of the ones I did find say they were canceled. So uh, hopefully these are all still going on. Uh, the first one is the 158th anniversary of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. This will be operating from November 10th through the 20th, 1200 to 2330 Zulu daily. Call signs are Whiskey Oscar 4 Lima and Whiskey 1 Golf. 
Frequencies on are about 3.83, 7.185, 14.288, and 18.155. Modes will be CW, digital, and phone. And they will have a beautiful full-color 11 by 14 certificate, a legal-sized certificate, in case you just didn't have enough crap on your wall. Uh, or a QSL card available. Please see the QRZ page for W04L or W1G for instructions and any previous certificates still available. Watch spotting nets to see where they are. Next, we have the USS Midway Museum Ship Special Event. This will be operating November 13th from 1700 Zulu to 2359 Zulu. Call sign is NI6IW, which is actually the call sign of the ship. Frequencies will be on or about 7.25 and 14.320, but also they will be operating on D-Star. So you've got CW, digital, phone, and PSK31 opportunities. And the USS Midway was commissioned in 1945 until 1992 and its official international call sign was niiw in 2004 the ship became open as a museum its first tam call sign assigned was kg6 zts what a nightmare in 2005 with steve carlin k6px as trustee then on july 1st 2005 a vanity call sign was requested and assigned as nn6mm navy navy six midway magic Ooh, ah. Joe Garza, AB6RM, urged Steve to try to obtain NI6IW so that the 6 area would be included in the original call sign. On October 23, 2006, the USS Midway was assigned NI6IW, which it has since retained. The station may be available for visits by amateur radio operators on operating days. USS Midway volunteers who are also amateur radio operators keep NI6IW active. And I saw something else that said that the museum will not be open for this particular special event. So there's that. And last, I have WHOA Weekend. And WHOA stands for Waranoka Heights Outdoor Adventures. And I think that's actually Waranoko. This will be operating November 20th from 1400 to 2000 Zulu. So a pretty narrow window there. Call sign will be Whiskey One Mike. Frequencies on are about 7.060, 7.25, 14.060, and 14.25. Operating CW and phone. At the very least and this is the operation for the waranoko heights outdoor adventures program which offers a variety of seasonal activities on one saturday each month from september to june these include ice fishing snowshoeing rifle and shotgun cooking atvs blacksmithing ham radio and more new programs include the yukon challenge for winter days (laughs) <laughs> or whoa days whoa. <laughs> whoa where you can earn a special patch if the conditions are right although it doesn't say what the conditions are it's a camp outdoor program that introduces young people to various season related activities including outdoor skills and some stem activities paper logging eqsl and the postal service for qsl card a link to more information about the event will be in the show notes and that's all i got so anybody have any announcements? Anybody in the chat room have anything they want to shout about? Anybody here have anything they want to shout about? Because I don't have anything. No, I was just going to mention, I just looked at that event. It sounded so familiar. It was like, oh, yeah, it's a scouting event. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you notice yeah. how I didn't say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. didn't move along quickly enough to keep Bill from, to keep Bill from saying something about it. Right? <laughs> Yeah, it just it just started ringing a bell, and I'm like, that sounds so familiar. And the, the patch they're talking about is the uh, how many nights uh, slept below freezing. Uh, I forget the exact patch, but uh, you can search that one up. It's uh, it's like I think you have to have like three nights below freezing or something like that to earn your I don't know 
frostbite patcher. I don't can't remember what it's called. But <laughs> <laughs> it's something to that effect. <laughs> I guess I should announce that coming up on the week, not not next week, but the week after, the week of Thanksgiving, we won't be recording on Thanksgiving. We'll be recording the day before, which is Wednesday the 24th. Yes. And then we will stop recording for the year on December 16th. I think that's the last Thursday we record, and then we come back after our seasonal break, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, on January 6th. So just to keep you aware of that. We get a vacation. Will we actually be recording on December 2nd? I don't think we will. So, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, because we're going to be on vacation. So, right. I was curious about that. So, so just so you're prepared this time that our recording schedule is going to be a little bit spotty over the next few weeks. And then, uh, (laughs) we do have that break coming up of of almost a month, uh, at the end of December, which we do every year. So if you're a longtime listener of the show, you already knew that. All right. So, you know what? I didn't put in a ham radio challenge. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know. I guess you can. I know it's terrible. I guess you can work the whoa station. Work the whoa station. <laughs> so so you can listen to some people doing ATVing and rifle shooting while other people are pounding on horseshoes and some are operating ham radios. And sleeping out and trying to get the and, and to, challenge right. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. To see how blue they can get their skin or something. <laughs> yeah. Do a weather check on them, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. There you go. So moving on, we're now into this weekend in open source. So the first thing we've got is a yet another release of Fedora. So Bill, take us through the newest <laughs> release of Fedora. Yes, that's right. This is Fedora Linux 35, and this is your distro to try this time. Uh, Fedora Workstation focuses on the desktop, and in particular, it's geared towards software developers who want the Just Works Linux operating system experience. Uh, this release features uh, GNOME 41, which builds on the reimagining of desktops in GNOME 40, which shipped in uh, Fedora Workstation 34. Uh, GNOME 41 includes improvements in power management. GNOME software has also been overhauled in GNOME 41 to make it easier to browse and discover applications. It also introduces connections, a new client for VNC and RDP-based remote desktop. Of course, we produce more than just the additions. Fedora spins and labs target a variety of audiences and use cases, including the Fedora Comp Neuro, which provides tools for computational neuroscience and desktop environments like Fedora LXQt, and uh, which provides a lightweight desktop environment. Uh, new in Fedora th- Linux 35 is Fedora Kyonoit. Kyonoit? Kyonoit? Kyonoit. That sounds right. Yeah. Fedora Kyonoit, a reprovisionable desktop system featuring the KDE Plasma desktop. And don't forget our alternative architectures of ARM, AARCH64, <laughs> Power, and S390X. Uh, let's see, we switched the default audio system to Pipeware in Fedora Linux 34, and now we're improving this by adding the new Wire Plumber Session Manager, which everybody is getting, so <laughs> I already have that here. Wire Plumber allows uh, for more customization of the policy and rules for audio and video. It provides a richer development experience and adds bindings for most languages. And if you enable the third party, uh, three third pod, potty, yeah, third potty, third potty repos. <laughs> The third-party <laughs> repositories, geez, OPs, uh, that ship in uh, Fedora Linux desktop variants, those repositories are now immediately available. 
Additionally, enabling third-party repositories now makes the selected FlatHub applications available via the filtered FlatHub remote. This eases, this eases access to the curated list of applications that will not cause legal or other problems for Fedora to point to. Uh, does not overlap with Fedora flat packs and works reasonably well. Reasonably well. Is that, that the same as just works? I don't know. Uh, of course, you can always get the full set of applications available in FlatHub by adding the remote. Uh, no matter what the variant of Fedora you use, you're getting the latest the open source world has to offer, unless, of course, you have Arch. Uh, uh, following our first foundation, we've updated key programming language and system library packages, including Python to 3.10. Perl is at 5.34. PHP is at 8.0. Fedora Linux 35 also includes the 1.0 release of Firewall D, the modern firewall service. So I have not spun this up yet on a VM, nor have I upgraded my... Uh, Fedora 34 Mac Mini or my Fedora 34 VM, but uh, I would probably try this out, and uh, we'll just give it the run through and just see how uh, how Linux ready it is as well, and uh, maybe we'll just update the video series as well with the uh, Fedora 35 with Wire Plumber and see if I run into the same uh, sound issues. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it's improved. <laughs> All right, so yes, another version of Fedora is out, and by the time you get this one installed, Fedora 36 will be you know already at github so <laughs> at least they don't develop like arch where somebody just mounts the entire github and just coding live so <laughs> yeah every time someone does a commit all of a sudden your entire system recompiles right <laughs> no stop it stop it <laughs> so anyway let's move on we're down to open source events and this is where we bring cheryl to come in and tell us about what kind of open source events are coming up in the next couple of weeks and there's a couple of interesting ones the the, the last one here i'm i'm really kind of curious about it's not something i'm going to attend but i i i just find it amusing but anyway uh what do we got okay so our first one is the open source digital forensics conference osdf con it is december 1st it is virtual it is free and the information on it is the 12th Annual Open Source Digital Forensics Conference will be held on December 1st and will now be entirely virtual. OSDFCon is a one-day event focused on all things open source digital forensics and incident response, DFIR. As an examiner, you'll be able to learn about the latest tools, most of which are free. As a tool developer, developer excuse me, you'll get a chance to just spread the knowledge about your hard work. The second one is the Olaf Conference 2021 it is December 3rd and 4th in Columbus, Ohio, and virtual. The cost is pay what you want. And the information on this is OLF, formerly known as Ohio Linux Fest, is a grassroots conference for the GNU Linux open source software free software community that started in 2003 as a large interlug Linux user group meeting and has grown steadily since. It's a place for the community to gather and share information about Linux and open source software. A large expo area adjacent to the conference rooms will feature exhibits from our sponsors, as well as a large .org session from nonprofit, open source, free software projects. The OLF conference welcomes people from all 50 states and international participants. We've had participants from Canada, England, Argentina, Brazil, and Australia in the years past. And the last one is the Open Source Summit China. It is December 9th and 10th. It is virtual. The cost is zero to $55. Uh, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation's flagship conference gathers adopters and technologists from leading open source and cloud native communities in China, 
uh, join container D, core DNS, envoy, et cetera, D, uh, fluent, it, uh, fluent D, harbor, helm, Jaeger. You, you don't have to read all those. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Kubernetes, et cetera. Um, as the community gathers for four days to further the education and advancement of cloud native computing. So, and Russ and I will actually, if, if you're attending, Russ and I will actually be at the afternoon or early evening part of the OLF conference. So, or that is the current plan anyway. On the so, second day. Yeah. Yeah. On, on yeah. On, on December 4th. So yeah, there's yeah. after, after everything is over with, apparently there is a small party uh, and Russ and I will definitely be there for that. I don't know if we'll be there for anything else or not, but it all depends on how fast we get there from Philadelphia. So yep. It's not that so. far, but, you know, sometimes we sleep late. So I'm going to put this LHS open source challenge in here one more time to see if it'll generate any more responses before I actually decide on some other challenge to work on. But the past couple of episodes of The Weekender, we have said, send us an email letting us know what new and interesting things you're doing with open hardware and software. So we'll put that out there one more time. We have generated a couple of responses and uh, hopefully we'll get a couple of more before we actually read some of these on our feedback segment coming up on the next deep dive. So if you have something you want to contribute about projects you're working on in open source, whether it be hardware or software or both, go ahead and let us know. And we'd love to talk about it and promote whatever you're doing or just uh, mention cool projects that are out there that we may or may not know about. And that brings us down to the good part of the show. So I guess we could flag it right here. I should probably put this in the show notes. It's like hedonism starts at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's time, yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so we're here. We're down to the food and the music and the booze and all the good stuff. And we always start that off with food because, you know, we're human and we all got to eat. And Cheryl's usually cooking up something good. So what is good this time? This time is praline crumb caramel cheesecake bars. So there you go. So oh, is that my, it? you're done. That's it. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> is it is it praline or praline? It depends on where you're from. <laughs> it's like tomato, tomato. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I grew up with it being praline. So, but it's it's probably praline. I don't know. My my dad was from Texas. So I think it depends on your level him. of sophistication. If you're, May, oh, if you're, I think it. If you're in the top percentile, it's praline, and if you're not, it's praline. <laughs> praline. I like my praline from caramel cheesecake bars. <laughs> yeah, it also depends on what part of Missouri you're from, whether it's Missouri or Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> well, now, the rest of us just misery. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, for the praline crumb crumb caramel cheesecake bars. You need a pouch of sugar cookie mix. Uh, Betty Crocker is what is specifically used in this recipe. Some cold butter or margarine, some chopped pecans, and some toffee bits. Uh, for the filling, you need some cream cheese, some sugar, some flour, some caramel-like uh, ice cream topping, some vanilla, and an egg. Um, and of course, the rest of the, re the rest of the recipe 
be in the show notes because it's kind of a convoluted mess. So you'll have to check that out in order to get the recipe for that. But it's a good uh, dessert for your Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. So. You're not supposed to say it's a convoluted mess. You're supposed to say it's super easy. It'll only take you five minutes no, to put it, this together. It, yeah. it, it is easy, <laughs> but it's a very long read for me after reading everything else i've read tonight so and do people really want me to say and mix this with fat no probably not they would probably prefer to read the recipe themselves well maybe so there you go so okay well you have another recipe too and this is yes this is one that could actually go with it lots of lots of similar flavors yes yes very true for my mixed drink corner i have a pumpkin pie bourbon and pear cocktail when I think of the holidays, I think pumpkin, pears, apples, bourbon, pecan pie. This drink, you know, takes the make takes the best of all of them. You do need to do a little pre-preparation for this. For the cocktail itself, you'll need some pumpkin pie spiced bourbon, some pear syrup, some lemon juice, and some sparkling, sparkling water. To make the pumpkin pie spiced bourbon... You will need to mix some bourbon with some pumpkin pie spice and let that sit for about 24 hours. To make the pear syrup, you need to chop up a fresh Bartlett pear with some sugar and some water, mash that all together. So this this is probably like a two-day process. So because <laughs> um, you need at least 24 hours for that bourbon to to marry the pumpkin pie spice. But again, all the instructions for it will be in the show notes. Sounds like you're ruining a perfectly good bottle of bourbon to me, but, you know. <laughs> so take a little bit of bourbon and put some pumpkin pie spice in it. Good grief. You, you Just use that thief creek. That, that's be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <clears throat> you know, they actually probably have some pumpkin-flavored bourbon. They probably do. Oh, yeah. sure. So. Arby's has curly fried flavored vodka, so surely there's pumpkin pie flavored bourbon. So. Let's just <sighs> not go there. <laughs> I am a huge bourbon fan, but I am not a bourbon fan to think of that. Yeah. That just sounds I'm not even gross. A curly, not even a curly fried flavored curly fry fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there's 360 Vodka, which is made just outside of Kansas City, a couple of years ago, came out with a glazed donut flavored vodka. Which is actually pretty good. Russ loved it. I hated it. Uh, yeah, wrong. and they had they had another one that oh, it was being cherry flavored. It literally tasted like Nyquil. Yeah, like cherry, that girl cough syrup. So the cherry's pretty awful, but the the glazed donut's pretty good. They also so, have huckleberry, which is really good. I'll yeah. your huckleberry. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wasn't it Bill that gave us? Wasn't it a huckleberry flavored ice cream bars? Oh, those huckleberry ice yes. cream bars were awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. they were yeah. amazing. So yeah, Wilcoxons. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a yeah. bigger way to get Jim more down there. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. We have friends named Wilcoxon. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a we big, do? big, big, uh, yeah, we do. Sean Wilcoxon. Oh, right. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, Wilcoxon's Creamery in Montana. So, yeah, they have amazing huckleberry flavored ice cream sandwiches. So, so did you get through your recipe? Yes, I'm done. Oh, okay. Yeah, go, go get the rest of the recipe in the show notes. I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, eventually, once you have all those pieces, you can make a drink with it. So don't be thirsty and wanting to make this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I already said you need 24 hours to, you know, marry the pumpkin spice and the bourbon together. So you can pour don't yourself get a in glass a big of, rush. Yes, pour yourself yeah. a glass of something else while you're making this and then have this tomorrow. 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Depending on how much you've had when you're making it, you can see how good it comes out the next day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so moving on, I have my drink corner tonight. And one thing I have been avoiding, I can see from my list of things that I've talked about, is all of the Texas whiskey that I have. Mostly because when I first started doing this stuff back in 2016 or whatever, the distribution on Texas whiskey wasn't that good, but it's getting better all the time. So now I can start talking about it because you can actually buy this stuff. And some of the places even actually have online sales. So I can just start going through all of my Texas whiskey stuff now. And the first one I'm going to talk about is Andalusia Distillery's Striker Texas Whiskey, which is actually an American single malt. It's created in Blanco, Texas, which is where they are, which is a bit west of Austin. The uh, they they the company produces fine handcrafted whiskeys deep in the Texas Hill Country as a reminiscent scene of the hills in the beautiful Andalusia, Andalusia, Spain. Each whiskey being grain to glass, we begin with a mash of the finest American-grown malted grains. We then continue our production here in Blanco, distilling each in our handcrafted copper pot still. Striker adopts the Scottish tradition of smoking malted barley that is destined to be used in their signature Isla Scotches. Rather than burning peat, however, Striker is masked from malted barley that has been smoked in the Texas barbecue tradition with oak, mesquite, and applewood. This is backyard barbecue whiskey at its best. So, yeah. So it's a mesquite and applewood smoked barley whiskey. It is made from 100% malted barley, so it is a single malt. It's bottled at 100 proof or 50% ABV, comes from Blanco, Texas, as I said, just outside of Austin. The color is reddish gold, and the notes on it are pretty simple and not particularly varied. However, they are good together. The nose on it is basically vanilla cream, a little bit of saltiness, and some toasted oak. You do get the hint of mesquite on the nose, but you get it much more on the taste. You definitely, if you've ever had a bag of mesquite barbecue uh, potato chips, it's a very similar sort of experience because you get the graininess that could be equivalent to the potato chip, although it's definitely more of the barley note than than a potato, of course. Uh, But you definitely get the mesquite flavor, and it is highly reminiscent of mesquite barbecue chips. And a little bit of apple cider, sort of like a slightly bitter apple. But it's really good. It goes well together. It's kind of like eating mesquite barbecue chips and apple jacks or something like that. But but really sort of mild and it actually blends together than I'm making that sound. And the finish is actually really short and you just have more of the same notes there. A little bit of barley, a little bit of mesquite smoke, which kind of almost disappears into a little bit of vanilla and toasted oakiness. One thing I will say of this is it's not particularly interesting. It's not particularly varied in flavor, but it's a super, super easy drinker. Definitely could be an easy daily, you know, glass of bourbon, uh, not bourbon. It's Texas whiskey. You know, I, I enjoyed it. It's it's much better than some other things that I've had with much more complex flavor profiles. This is just really nice to sip, really easy to drink, has a slightly different flavor than you used to from from a lot of whiskeys and it's not particularly expensive it's about fifty dollars a bottle it can be purchased at total wine and places like that they also have online sales 
so you can get hold of it if you want to try it, as with lots of other Texas whiskeys that I'll be talking about in upcoming episodes. I'm going to put this square at an 85. 85. So it's pretty good. If you can get, It's a little on the expensive side for, for sort of the lack of complexity, but if you want to try something a little bit different, uh, you could do a lot worse. And that's all I've got to say about Andalusia Striker Texas Whiskey. Bill, you got anything? No, I did find the uh, crack open my secret stash bottle of Eagle Rare. So I'm having a, just a little bit of that. I'm not, not going to go through it. I'm just going to, just a little bit. A <laughs> little bit. Don't want to go through that because it might be the last one I ever see and ever know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Eagle Rare will uh, come no, back around. No. But yeah, right, right now it is actually a little on the rare side. So probably best yeah, to hold on yeah. to it for, for the moment. Don't, don't drink that bottle until you at least have another one in hand. Yeah, that's definitely what I'm planning on doing. <laughs> so it'll be around for a while. I just I just happened to run out of uh, everything else in front of it. So I was like, well, I guess I could have a little bit of it. Yeah, so that's what I did. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, you know what? That brings us down to the end of the show. So we've gotten through the amateur radio, the open source, and the hedonism, and we hope we've given you plenty of things to do over the next 14 days or so while you're experimenting with your new cool electronics project, or just otherwise doing lifey things. At least spend some time enjoying a little bit of hedonism on the side. And we want to thank the folks who are listening to us live here tonight. We had Tony, K4XSS, Don, KC9ZMY, Ted, WA0EIR, Don, KB2YSI, Darren, VK6EK, Dan, KB6NU, and Bike Me. Always a good way to end that list. <laughs> so... <laughs> So anyway, thanks to everybody who listens to us live. Thanks to everybody who downloads the show and listens to us because that's what makes doing this worth it. And thank you to all of our financial supporters who help keep the lights on. We really appreciate you. And uh, stay tuned because after this, we'll have our short topics episode. And then, of course, there will be a deep dive after that and lots more to come on Linux in the Hamshack. But for now, we're going to go ahead and get on out of here. This has been... The 82nd edition of The Weekender, episode number 440 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The show is recorded live every Thursday at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show 
That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. (laughs) 